This is Digital Pathology Today. Now here's your host, Dr. Joseph Anderson. Working together for a better workflow. One of the buzzwords associated with digital pathology is, of course, workflows. But what exactly are we talking about? Obviously, workflows means different things to different people, and there is more than one workflow or more than one job to be done. So what are the components and considerations of workflows that a pathology group has to consider before implementing a digital pathology system? How big of a concern is interoperability? Is this becoming less of an issue as we drive towards standardization, or more of an issue as we have more components, more functions, more users, and bigger networks? In terms of the large investments required for infrastructure and equipment, how can pathology groups and hospital systems maximize their investment and future-proof the investment to protect against downside along the way? Welcome to Digital Pathology. Today, I'm Joe Anderson. We're talking with Dr. Mark Lloyd, the founder of Inspirata, who had a vision of developing and delivering innovative solutions to transform the cancer experience for doctors and patients. Previously, Dr. Lloyd was a core staff scientist at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida, where he directed the analytic microscopy core facility for over 12 years and oversaw the growth of his laboratory into one of the most well-equipped, staffed, and respected labs in the country. Mark Lloyd is a principal investigator for multiple peer-reviewed grant-funded projects in digital pathology, artificial intelligence, and image analysis. He's a prolific researcher who has authored over 120 publications, holds three patents, and has more than a dozen patent applications pending. This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by JAV Advisors. With over 16 years experience, JAV Advisors focuses on business and management consulting for digital pathology and artificial intelligence in deployment within histology, pathology, and cytology laboratories throughout the world. Call 213-258-6268 for more information. JAV Advisors. Dr. Mark Lloyd from Inspirata, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience with digital pathology and the history of Inspirata. Well, without getting uh, too embarrassingly uh, detailed, um, I started in this field in the late 90s. Uh, Pathology uh, was very different then. Uh, Digital pathology meant a camera with film in it sitting on top of your microscope. And and it was blazingly obvious that it was, you know, becoming one of the last analog medical sciences, and there was a lot of room for improvement. And some of the first slide scanners that were coming to market there and being built in laboratories, taking up a lot of space, using all kinds of different technologies to, to try to move slides from one place to another and take a picture of them and then stitch images together when that became possible. Uh, it, it really became obvious to me that pathology had a, a lot of opportunity to grow in digitization and, and that we've been very similar for you know more than 100 years. And, and this could be a rev- evolutionary change. But what also really interested me personally about pathology as a practice was the fact that this became one of the first points in which a patient realized that they had a disease by by virtue of that pathologist uh, looking under a microscope, rendering a diagnosis, and then sharing that information with their primary care physician or their oncologist, as the case may be. And for me, that was exciting because this became a a point in time where we could get a, a patient on the best medical trajectory possible by giving them the most rapid and accurate diagnosis possible. And so I became increasingly interested in research. 
I, and in my earliest days, I was working at Georgetown University at the uh, Lombardi Cancer Center. And later I moved to the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida, where I'm currently located. And spent a couple of decades, you know, seeing these technologies evolve and seeing how they were extraordinarily useful for research, but could be extraordinarily useful for those patients as we help to design that, that, that medical treatment plan for them and, and help to inform all of the other doctors that interact with those patients, the nitty gritty detail of their disease that comes from pathology. And, and over the course of, I'll say, 10 years, 15 years as molecular pathology began to really take hold and it became abundantly clear through the Human Genome Project and other things that uh, the pathology would blossom in its uh, ability to understand molecular profiles and use this information to uh, give more specific diagnoses and, and, and ultimately as drugs caught up to apply targeted therapies to patients. But I saw an opportunity in the morphology alone to be able to digitize these patients and um, these patient samples and provide the pathologist with a couple of things that might be interesting to them, the ability to share more easily, the ability to integrate that information with others, ultimately to, to become more efficient, but even more so to evaluate that morphology in a way that would help provide new information about a patient. And in doing so, increase the quality of care capable uh, uh, for from from the information that's coming directly out of the pathology department. And so these combinations of things had me hooked, you know, from the very beginning and have me passionate and hooked and on the edge of my seat today uh, as we see you know, what's next in store for digital pathology. And over the course of that period of time, I personally went out and got an MBA and that was enough business knowledge to make me dangerous. And I was, you know, filing uh, patent applications and establishing some IP and licensing that out to, to the kinds of uh, industry partners and vendors that are in this pathology space. And I saw a real opportunity to bring the workflow of the pathologist to a head by adding digital pathology. And, and what I mean by that is I observed pathologists for at that point, you know, over 15, maybe 20 years. And I would watch and, and we would even do real time emotion studies and measure how much time was the pathologist spending looking through the oculars of their microscope to do what they had gone to medical school, ultimately then residencies and fellowships to, to really refine their skills and, and provide a, an accurate diagnosis. They were spending the minority of their time doing that and the majority of their time walking across the hall, knocking on the neighbor's door, going to consensus conference, going right. to tumor board, and bringing together information that's coming from LASs and EMRs and folders where electron microscopy and gross images might be, and pulled all that together. And that was, uh, that was the beginning, uh, that, that foundational moment when I decided we need to found a company to do this uh, ourselves, to enhance that workflow, and then to layer on things like artificial intelligence and Im image analysis. And uh, you know, a couple of years later, uh, here we are. And and so that was the beginnings of Inspirata. Yeah. Okay. I think that's wonderful. Now you said you said uh, workflows, which is kind of a a loaded term, and I think it means different things to different people. And I think that's really what I want to focus on here today, but then I think also what you said, I identify with so much of it. I think we're somewhat contemporary. When I started in the mid to late 90s, you know, I thought maybe I was going back in the Stone Age where there was a Kodak camera, analog camera on top of the microscope, and it took a picture with film, and then you had to take it down and get it made into a Kodachrome. And we were projecting those things on a carousel at tumor boards. 
And then by the time I finished training, somehow we had upgraded to a digital camera and were able to import photos to Microsoft PowerPoint. And that, you know, that even that was a massive step forward, but I, I, I too saw so much potential. I, you know, I knew at some point we, we had to be entering the digital age. And then I think what you said that really much of patient care really starts and finishes with the pathologist. It's, it's the pathologist that renders that diagnosis that gets the ball rolling. And then as we moved into the uh, molecular age, I think we seized upon the opportunity to add so much more predictive and prognostic data. And I think people have maybe fallen in love with molecular, but then also what you said is, you know, you're a morphologist at heart. And I, and I think also that digital pathology is hopefully going to maybe give us a second renaissance in just good old fashioned H&E tissue morphology without, with all the tools we can bring to bear on that specifically image analysis and artificial intelligence and so forth. So I, so I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm very excited for the future, but let's get into, into workflow. So what exactly does that term mean? I think roughly we know it means the process of getting the work done, but I think it means different things to different people, particularly what practice environment you're in, you know, are you in a small community hospital or you in an academic center? What functions do you actually perform? Do you just render the diagnosis? Do you do additional studies? Do you present at tumor boards? Do you collaborate with colleagues across the hall or across the world? You know, what happens after you've made the diagnosis? So I think there's a lot to it, you know, than, you know, in, in a small term such as workflow. So what are we talking about? Yeah, workflow is a is certainly diverse. It's diverse in the kinds of tasks. It's diverse in the kinds of specimens. It's diverse in the kinds of subspecialties that pathologists may have. And certainly in the ways in which different organizations focus their, their pathologists' efforts on rendering a diagnosis or including, you know, not just a clinical application of, of their expertise, but also research and educational applications. And so it means a whole lot of different things to different people, as you mentioned. And I saw the workflow as being the, the core driver for the adoption of digital pathology. And it dovetails well into in, into some of the things that, uh, that you echoed in that Pathologist, pathology hadn't always changed, and now we can add things like morphology to the to the ways in which we uh, take evolutionary leaps forward. And it reminds me of a comment from a good friend of mine, Dr. Mark Boguski, who was a was a sign out pathologist in Boston, uh, left the field for for a period of time, about a decade to go to pharma. And when he came back, the way that he puts it to to me uh, is, I was I was both comforted and shocked. I was comforted in that not a lot had changed, but I was shocked in that we really haven't made a lot of those advancements. And if you were to ask him today, and I and I often have this conversation with the early adopters of digital pathology, what are the things, you know, how, how do you feel about the, the future of this field? They're all now moving into ways in which we can leverage our workflow to be more efficient and effective, save costs and all of those kinds of things, but ultimately to enhance the quality of care of those patients. And so when, when I think about the workflow, I have to take into into account all of those diverse perspectives. And, uh, and so if, if we're talking about different tasks, are, are you reading primary diagnosis for FFPE? Are you reading uh, you know, frozen sections? Are, are, is this a, a, a cytology use case or an anatomic pathology use case? How are you, um, you know, what, what are your constraints and what are the things that you're really trying to accomplish as efficiently as possible? And how do we provide tools and technologies to assist you to make your everyday a little bit easier? 
We all have challenges, whether you know it's uh, signing out frozen sections and having to go to a remote location, or or to be able to count KI67s in, in a GI case where one and two percent has a clinical difference, and I've got to print out a page and mark off you know all the positive cells with one color marker and the negative cells with another color marker, or even use a clicker to get to uh, to to the most accurate diagnosis possible. And so, for those very different use cases. Having a software platform and the tools and technologies that enable those things become the ways in which we make the day-to-day -day easier and therefore show the pathologist the value of digital pathology to them in their day-to-day. And so whether it be a combination of remote live microscopy with whole slide imaging that facilitates a couple of different use cases for frozen sections and for uh, FFP primary diagnosis, or if it's about the application of uh, IHC algorithms to help you with that KI-67 counting, or, or maybe it's about sharing because you are a general pathologist and you see all kinds of different specimens and you get a challenging case and you want to be able to share it with a subspecialist from which you for which you collaborate with frequently you can absolutely do that not by packaging something up and FedEx or UPS in it and waiting a week for your uh, your secondary uh, consult letter to come back but to do it instantly and maybe do it just in time so you're seeing the same slide at the same time regardless of where you are geographically you learn a little bit along the way there's those are the kinds of use cases that I consider integral to the workflow but even more so integral to the adoption of the field that we're all trying to see move forward. Right. Now, in addition to workflows, meaning different things to different people, I think analogously, there's different components, different pieces of hardware and software for all of these steps along the way, which I think may be intimidating to people or maybe unknowns, or, you know, maybe, you know, people are excited about digital pathology, but they're just a little reluctant to jump in, to jump in with both feet. Cause I think, you know, there's a big capital outlay to adopt new systems, you know, so what exactly are the components and what do people have to keep in mind before embarking on, on going fully digital? Certainly. So, so there's, there's scanners, the instruments themselves that capture the pictures. There's software that allows you to view those images. There's the IT infrastructure and storage and servers uh, that are, you know, reside in a data center or in, in an IT center of excellence that uh, facilitates these as the network bandwidth that allows you to shoot images from places to place. And then there's the professional services and, uh, you know, training and implementation and integration with your APLASs or EMRs or other systems. So there are a lot of components. So there's a couple of different ways that we typically recommend that uh, organizations uh, overcome the, oh my goodness, that's so much. Uh, kind of a feeling to make it much more tangible, much easier for them to either dip their toe in or jump right in. And so uh, the ways in which I, I tell our, our uh, my colleagues, they should be thinking about uh, the all of the components in digital pathology, but also in their long-term strategy for where they want to go, regardless of the pace that they want to adopt, is to think about you know where you see digital pathology taking your organization, whether it's three years, five years, seven years out, and 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 that 
can be frightening, but very liberating. It's liberating in knowing, okay, I'm going to, uh, maybe I'll digitize a specific use case first. Maybe it's only frozen sections, or maybe it's only my breast subspecialty group, or maybe it's only a linkage between location A and location B. But ultimately, over this longer period of time, I see my entire organization benefiting from digital pathology in terms of telepathology and image analysis and all of these things. And when they have that perspective of what they ultimately want to do, then there are relatively easy ways to help them feel confident that they can get there uh, with, uh, you know, with education and with uh, the actual process of that change management. And one of the core tenets to that is having an open platform. So an open platform for the way in which you see your, your whole side images. And I like to use analogies, and so I'll, I'll throw one out here now, where I use, uh, I use my cell phone every day, many, many times a day, many two, times a day too many probably. And, um, and, and in my cell phone, I've got an operating system that's kind of the glue that holds it all together. When I switch from an iPhone 3 to a 5 to a 12 to a 25, it comes with me. Um, when, I, when I add an app, I'm adding an app for, for BBC or CNN or, or ESPN. I'm adding it to you know, a conglomerate of all of the apps that I need to make my phone work properly. That operating system is the glue that holds it all together. So by selecting a platform uh, that allows me to swap out instruments so that I might want instrument A right now, but I'm going to grow into another use case that's going to require ins instrument B or six of them, or I expect these instruments to keep getting smaller, cheaper, faster. I can do that without disrupting anything that is uh, relevant to the pathologist and user. And then as I see, you know, image analysis and artificial intelligence growing you know, rapidly year over year as it applies to these various pathology algorithms and use cases, I can decide that I want to add an app for IHC, an app for identification of um, metastases and lymph nodes, an app to identify H. pylori, an app to give me prognostic and predictive indications for a patient based on their morphology, and so on and so forth at a pace that makes sense for me because I've got that platform that adds, allows me to kind of add them a la carte like an app store. So, so those are those level of considerations. And then, of course, there's the financial considerations. And let's make no mistake, digital pathology adds time and cost to the system. You know, today we've got glass. Tomorrow with digital pathology, the way that we have it today where we're still digitizing glass, we still have glass. So we're inserting scanners, we're inserting software, we're inserting file storage to a system to make it more efficient. So then the question becomes, how do I get that return on that investment? And there are many uh, very quantitative, of course there's also qualitative, but there are many quantitative ways in which we can establish that return on investment such that we overcome those kinds of financial barriers, such that, uh, for example, you know, first of all, I mentioned you know the ability to grow at a pace that makes sense. Having that aligned with a financial model that uh, charges you as you use things or grows with you as you expand from your breast program to your GI program to your entire institution, ways in which we can provide not just cost savings from things like increased efficiencies in preparation for tumor board or increased efficiencies in uh, not having to have couriers or, or, or time lost uh, when you know I do walk across the hall and knock on my neighbor's door or send something via FedEx, but, but also to be able to bring in new revenue streams, essentially. These new revenue streams allow us uh, to, to capture markets. Uh, you know, 
all of these, whether you're a not-for-profit or for-profit institution, they 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 exist to grow those businesses and to serve more patients. And so we see quite frequently uh, these uh, these organizations growing in ways in which uh, ultimately we need to provide solutions that uh, help them grow beyond the normal catchment areas of patients. And so certainly all of our hospitals have their patient population that can essentially drive there and, and walk through those glass doors and, and, uh, and get their diagnosis and ultimately get their therapy. As we consider digital pathology and the importance of that first touch in pathology, there's been very quantitative metrics that Inspirata has measured, that I've measured, that allows us to ultimately understand how many of those patients that might have a diagnosis from a secondary consult or even a primary diagnosis from an area that wouldn't be within your normal catchment area. And then those patients come to your institution for the big dollar, the big ticket items of their surgery or the radiation oncology or their chemotherapy or other things. And so that kind of stickiness that we can associate with digital pathology has a great deal of pull-through revenue that helps to justify new revenue streams and the return on investment for these initial outlets. And then the last thing that I'll, I'll touch on here that uh, has been gaining uh, quite a bit of momentum over the you know, most recent years is how digital pathology and all of the other ologies related to imaging, radiology, cardiology, dermatology, and so on, endoscopy images and, and such, can, can become part of an enterprise imaging solution. And these enterprise imaging solutions are, are often um, contained in uh, packs, whether it's a radiology or cardiology packs, vendor-neutral archives, and these kinds of things where pathology should have a seat at that table and should be part of that overall enterprise consolidated imaging play and in doing so, alleviate some of the stress from the pathology department that you know previously is worried about how do I acquire a slide scanner or how am I going to pay for this file storage, to making it part of an enterprise solution that ultimately is supported by the entire organization. A couple of ideas there. This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by DJT Solutions, your single source for all your digital pathology requirements, from consultation services to system requirements, including installation, training, and life cycle support. Since 1995, DJT Solutions, we are your best choice for your best results. I think it's it's easy to take into account or easy to put your blinders on or get in your silo, but we're not the only ones in the image business. I think that's a really key point that, you know, radiology and cardiology and other specialties share images. So, you know, we're in a sense we're all in this in this together and we can look beyond the walls of our own department into the hospital system itself, you know, for help in implementing these these solutions. And I think that's an interesting point with regards to revenue streams. I think pathology as a profession, perhaps we've been a little bit reluctant, you know, to want to discuss that. But I think really, you know, as we grow and we add revenue streams, we're improving outcomes and, and patients benefit and medicine as a whole benefits. So obviously a risk is going to be you don't realize the return on the investment that you were hoping for. What are the other risks? I mean, certainly is this going to scale? How is it going to scale? What are the what pain points can I anticipate in the future? Is my equipment going to become obsolete? Are all the components not going to be able to talk to each other? So what are the risks? What are the downsides potentially? The the 
most important part in in that uh, approach where where I mentioned let's um, let's think about where we want to go so that we future proof ourselves and eliminate some of those risks uh, as early on in, in the process as possible becomes really critical so uh, I know I'm going to want to scale this a am I working with a vendor or a group of solutions that is going to allow me to scale uh, am I going to be able to load balance uh, serving uh, large files to large numbers of individuals regardless of uh, the fact that they might sit in half a dozen or a dozen different locations. And so the technology is available. At Inspirato, you know, we focused on that for the last decade, and there's, there's absolutely many, many now proof points uh, out in the field for, for well over, you know, five years, seven years, nine years now, where we've got these kinds of uh, scalable solutions uh, that, uh, that we can point to and say, when you're ready for this level of scalability with the right solutions, we can get you there. Some of the other risks that you mentioned and, and or maybe even didn't mention uh, were about um, about that change management. And so change management means a couple of things. You, you mentioned it in the context of, you know, obsolescence of instrumentation. Of course, this always happens. And so having an open platform that allows you to upgrade to the most recent technologies, you know, move from a slide scanner of, of old to the slide scanner of the future, to be able to add slide scanners with different kinds of use cases. All of those things are really important. But even more important to me, from my point of view, is the user's change management. How do we give the pathologist the confidence that they are, you know, that they have been working with for you know decades and ultimately you know as a field over a century in looking uh, you know through a microscope at these samples and what kinds of challenges uh, digital pathology might introduce and how do we alleviate those challenges and give pathologists the confidence that they can work with uh, with digital pathology and so I like to point to scenarios where. And this is the, the case for every customer I've ever had. Nobody just comes out of the gate and says, we're going to go full digital, throw those microscopes in the trash tomorrow. That's just not a realistic uh, vision of change management for people. And so what we'd like to do is we like to perform interviews with the various stakeholders, not just the pathologists, certainly the pathologists, but not just them, also your IT infrastructure staff and your PAs and, uh, and uh, the, the histotechs and all of the stakeholders that are going to be involved in a digital transformation and figure out who are those early adopters uh, who's got the comfort level to give this a go and like every new technology there's a bell curve for this you've got your early adopters you've got your big group of movable middle that are evidence-based you know we're, we're scientists and we're medical doctors and and we want that evidence before we uh, you know jump fully into something very new and then you'll have your your tail end that uh, you know has the opinion that I, it, I'm not going to change. And what I observe time and time again is that those early adopters, a, a small set of the overall group of call it 100 pathologists, maybe you'll have seven or 10 of them that say, they raise their hand and say, I want to be the first to go out there and, and work with this. They do so. And they, they choose use cases that are important to them. Maybe it's just tumor board. Maybe it's uh, establishing their teaching sets or a research cohort. Or maybe it's the sign out, you know, during consensus conference or, you know, second looks for second opinions. Or maybe it's full, full board primary diagnosis, but only for biopsies and not excisions. 
Those early adopters choose the use cases that are important to them, and then they start practicing it, and all of their colleagues watch and see. And when they have success in that, and they always do, that movable middle starts to move over to the, I'm going to adopt this, and you get the the uh, the momentum from across the institution so that, you know, if I had anticipated that I had 10 early adopters, and of the 70 uh, movable middle individuals, and I broke them down into you know groups of 15 or 20. Uh, they skew toward the I'm ready to adopt this as soon as they see their colleagues using it, because you know ultimately it's what's in it for me. You know what can this do for me? And when they see the evidence that their colleagues are using it in a way that makes their lives easier, then they will adopt it. The ways in which it makes their their patient care elevated in some way, shape, or form, then they adopt it. And I I will say that even all of those pathologists that say digital is not for me, thanks but no thanks. I'll stick with my microscope. Inevitably, they always see some use case that they say oh, well, maybe it's as simple as I can grab a snapshot from this, you know, at the time when I'm rendering my diagnosis, I'm still looking at glass, but it's easy for me. You know, I've got my barcodes here and I scanned it and I've got my digital image. Let me just draw a box around this thing because it's going to be important for me at tumor board and they present at tumor board. Or maybe it's, let me take a snapshot of this and put it in a PowerPoint presentation because I want to present it to my students. Or maybe I just want to hive it off into a, into a file where I keep it forever, much like I would with the glass sticking it in my desk drawer because this is an interesting case to me. They all find something that uh, digital pathology can offer them. And over the course of time, and every organization is different and the drivers for that adoption are different, but every organization I've ever worked with has made that transition. It's just about what's in it for them. Right, right. I think that's that's incredibly fascinating. We can't really escape human nature. We are who we are. There's always going to be early adopters or mavericks, trailblazers. There's going to be that that large middle group and then the laggards, of course. But I think eventually we're all going to evolve in a somewhat predictable way. So I think that that I think your analysis is is incredibly fascinating there. So let's talk about interoperability, you know, in terms of risk. And I think, you know, I think roughly what we're talking about is how do we get all these components to work together? But I think there's more to it, you know, as as this grows and we're collaborating with colleagues across the world, you know. So I think one question is is this going to become a bigger and bigger deal, something that we have to be more and more cognizant of to get the standards in place? And are we going to always going to be have to monitoring the compatibility of our components? Or is it something we can kind of nip in the bud and these concerns will largely go away, which will allow us to scale exponentially? Yeah, I think that, uh, that the answer really extends in both directions here, depending on, uh, on, on what aspect of that question we're really addressing. So, the, the, the importance of interoperability cannot be underestimated. It's critical. It's critical for patient safety as we move into the clinical world, but it's critical for our ability to scale as well. So, so certainly having a platform that's capable of interoperating and providing uh, integrations with a wide variety of different kinds of systems becomes really critical to the long-term success of an organization. So this is a, inclusive of some of the usual suspects like your APLES, but it extends into that location where your electron microscopy images are stored or where I like to keep flow cytometry plots or the kinds of information that's available in my EMR but not available in my APLES. Uh, maybe it's uh, gross images that are stored in a file somewhere on a NAS drive in a folder. 
our ability to interoperate with and integrate with each one of those systems to bring all of that information at a pathologist's fingertips, but allow it to move and change as dynamically as, as the data changes when a patient gets a new image or a new procedure becomes really, really important for the overall workflow of those pathologists. So it becomes less of an issue in terms of the onus on the end users if they've got a partner, a vendor that's capable of those kinds of integrations. And so the goal of, uh, of most uh, vendors in this space is to make this as easy as possible for the pathologists. And so our, our role in this is to provide those integrations and to provide that interoperability so that it's seamless and almost invisible to you, the pathologist. You want to be able to go in there and see that the images and the textual information, the clinical history, the gross descriptions, the, the final diagnostic report, my amendments, and addendums, all of that stuff is available to me at my fingertips uh, without having to have six different systems, you know, a viewer for my gross images, a viewer for my EM, uh, you know, a, a whole site imaging viewer, a different platform for image analysis uh, algorithm one versus image analysis algorithm two. That platform uh, becomes critical for the interoperability. Uh, and as we drive towards standards, which we absolutely must do in this field, then it takes the onus off of those vendors that are already working, uh, you know, together with all of the say slide scanning manufacturers to unlock those proprietary file formats and allow those images to become more portable and uh, and, and easier to use regardless of you know which viewer uh, a specific slide scanning manufacturer may use I think of this kind of as it just to maybe I'll play off of the uh, the, the previous uh, analogy of the cell phone on my cell phone, I've got a camera and, and I've got some viewing software. And it allows me to view uh, the pictures that I just took and to do some simple things with them. I can crop them, I can rotate them, and I can text them to my friends. That's that's pretty useful stuff. And for me as a, as a you know lay user of that kind of a technology, great, that, that works for me. But when I'm a professional, if I were a wedding photographer or something like that, you know, I wouldn't be using my cell phone editing software to put together my wedding album. I'd be using something professional grade. And I'm not a wedding photographer, so I don't know what they use. But nonetheless, that's the idea such that, you know, every slide scanning instrument comes with some software to view and it allows them to view open or proprietary files and to be able to uh, have some basic interactions with them, which is fantastic. When an organization needs to interoperate with not just that slide scanner, but one from a different company with a different use case that can handle fluorescence or multiplexing or large format slides or cytology and Z stacking or a smaller footprint or a larger high throughput, any of those things, the pathologist shouldn't have to learn a whole nother system. So in this case right now, it's on those vendors with open platforms like Inspirata to bring all of that together. As we adopt these standards, that, uh, that onus will uh, be eliminated from from the open platforms and everybody will be able to do this so the faster we can get to that point the better it will be for everybody as it pertains to the imaging standards the standards of communication between APLASs, whether it's smart on fire or hl7 or web services some of those standards exist but the reality of the situation is i you know every implementation is different 
whether it's SunQuest PowerPath in one place or another, or it's Epic Beaker in one place or another, it really matters the details of how messages are being sent. And so having a vendor that collates that all for you, understands those messages, make sure you get the information you need will always be important. And that'll be important for our image analysis partners as well. So my advice to alleviate the concerns that these things are continuing to grow and my challenges are gonna to continue to grow, I'm gonna to have to integrate more and more pieces alleviate those concerns immediately by going to an open platform that's uh, that essentially does that work for you. So that's a way in which, you know, certainly interoperability is going to continue to expand and become a bigger and bigger problem, but it extends the other way in that vendors are solving for those problems for you. So reach out to them. Yeah, I think it, it, there is certainly that risk of increasing complexity and more and more components and moving parts. So how do we keep the pathologist in the driver's seat? How do we keep the pathologist at the forefront of digital pathology and not risk becoming just a cog in a big machine? So one of the most important things about digital pathology is it enables a pathologist to do more than they've ever been able to do before. And we cannot lose sight of that. I consider a pathologist to be steering precision medicine um, because they have the most information at the earliest point in that patient's medical journey to influence the trajectory of their treatment schedules, for example. So I think of pathologists not of being the you know readers of books that we've been for a century, readers in this case of glass slides, but the librarians of information that uh, include not just the morphology, uh, not just some um, results that come from CP, uh, from clinical pathology, but ultimately all kinds of information from uh, from our molecular uh, reports to uh, to radiologic key radiologic findings and more, and so by giving the the pathologist the access to more and more information. And as our practice has gotten more and more complex with more and more tests to order and more and more um, subsets of disease, uh, we can provide tools to a pathologist that give them information just in time. Okay, what, uh, what does this molecular pathology really mean to me, even if I'm not specifically trained as a molecular pathologist? What ways can we use a you know, Rosetta Stone of sorts to decode some very complex terminology and some things that change very rapidly as new targeted therapies become available, for instance, by providing databases at the point when a pathologist is looking at a specific morphology to be able to understand what differential diagnoses may exist and what the impacts of various molecular overexpressions or underexpressions may be. All at that point when they are, mining, are accessing all of this information. What is required in order to keep that pathologist in the driver's seat is twofold. One, the pathologist has to be their own best advocate. We need to speak up. We need to speak up through our organizations like the Digital Pathology Association, uh, but also API, USCAP, CAP, ASCP. We have a diversity of organizations in pathology, whereas some of our colleagues in other medical disciplines have one or fewer. So they have a more harmonized voice. We need to harmonize our voices in pathology to, to really make sure that we're advocating for ourselves. But we also need to leverage the technology that's available out there. I know that it, change management is hard, and I know that it's uh, 
difficult to, you know, when you're, you're getting squeezed day to day to, to move, to do more with less, and you're, you're seeing your reimbursement rates drop and your, your case complexity increasing and, you know, becoming harder and harder to recruit great pathologists. These are, these are very real pressures, but if strategically we can take one step back and look at the big picture and understand what kinds of evolutionary leaps can help us get where we really need to be to stay in that driver's seat? Things like digital pathology, things that we appreciated with molecular pathology, and technologies that specifically help us to manage all of that information become really critical. And so, you know, we were thinking about that when we when we founded Inspirata, and, and the term, the, the, the name itself is exactly that. It's a mashup of two words, inspired data, because we wanted to be able to give these data, not just you know your standard glass slides with the pieces of paper from your requisition forms that used to be tucked into the stack of cases that you had in your desk but now much more information richer uh, information mineable information uh, that we can use to stay at that forefront of the future of diagnosis oh that's that certainly is an inspiring message so dr mark lloyd thank you so much for being with us now let, before we wrap up just tell us what what excites you and where do you see the field going in the next 10 years or even in the next five years? I, it's the inflection point. I'm at the edge of my seat right now because I've observed this field, you know, for two decades, two and a half decades, and I've seen where we've come and I've seen the speed in which we're ramping up now. I, I notice uh, on the regular uh, how we have moved from research to clinical to uh, higher level of adoption than clinical uh, for digitization as a whole. But I also see now this del deluge of right, very diverse image analysis and artificial intelligence companies and ways in which we will continue to move the field forward. So it's this, it's this inflection point for, for every you know, emerging business where it starts slowly and it builds up momentum and then it hits that inflection point and it goes gangbusters. And I, I see some drivers as you know, terrible as they've been, like our global pandemic, to help to catalyze some of that change. And, and the barriers that we've had to deal with over the decades, whether it's you know the expense of file storage or the quality of the images that were originally coming out of slide scanners, we've we have overcome all of those barriers now. We can produce real ROI documents now. We can provide real benefits to pathologists and the patients that they serve. And so that's that's the interest to me. I'm ready to see where this is going next. And if I'm not right in the middle of it, I, I, I don't want to be around. This is this is the time. And so I, I highly encourage all of your listeners to uh, to get out there to learn more about digital pathology and specifically how you can bring it to your own organizations. This is the time indeed. Well, our guest has been Dr. Mark Lloyd from Inspirata. We'll see you next time on Digital Pathology Today. This has been Digital Pathology Today. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.